When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And now another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. It looks like your luggage is over 50 pounds. Is there anything you can take out? Oh, yeah. Let me just toss all these $20 bills. Great. Let me grab you a trash can. Stop. Instead of throwing money away, move some clothes into a carry-on. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Media Network. I talk about like it's the fans that have seen one, two, three shows are my favorite people. Because when I was walking out of Deer Creek at my first show... I had gotten separated from my friends and we were like texting, like just meet you at the car. And I was walking with this couple and we're just running down the set list. And they said, how many shows have you been to? And I actually said, that was my first show. They stopped me dead in my tracks and gave me this big hug and this, and said, welcome home. And from that moment on, I've always tried to pass that on to everyone that is at the venue or generally interested in the band. So I don't think... Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and fish fans. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this encore episode of yesterday's concert, fish expert Stu Kelly opens his jam journal of more than 130 fish shows. Grab your earplugs as we step into the freezer. So I'm here with my good friend, and a fish expert, and we're going to get the rundown on why fish is incredible. Uh, I just want to establish something before we get going. We have two things to establish before we get going. The first thing is there's a precursor to this conversation. Anytime we say a word that starts with F, you got to replace it with PH. So if we talk about fans, you start at P-H-A-N-S, no fans, no F. So just know every, every F word tonight starts with a PH. There's no F words tonight. Uh, so the second thing that we're going to establish, Stu, welcome to the show. Glad you're here. How are you today, man? Can't tell you how happy I am to be a guest on your show ever since you unveiled this project, which you had been building for years. I've just been such a fanboy of this podcast and yesterday's concert and everything you've done and built. So I'm just so proud of you, brother, and I couldn't be happier to be here. I appreciate it, bud. That's, that's sweet of you. Okay, so let's establish your credibility as a fish fan. I'm going to do some rapid-fire questions at you. Uh-oh. You just pop back with the answer. So easy one to start. How many times have you seen fish? 138 times. But who's counting? <laughs> Madman. All right, what was your first fish show? First fish show was June 19th, 2009 at Deer Creek. 
What was the most shows you did in one year? Great question. In 2013, I did 7,500 miles on summer tour alone. After summer tour, I went to Denver. I went to their Halloween run in Atlantic City. And I also did their New Year's run at Madison Square Garden. So in 2013 alone, I saw 25 shows. Madman. Okay, so what's the furthest you've traveled for one show? Sure, like run and stuff like that, all that counts. Um, I mean, getting on a plane to Mexico, not once, but twice, would have to, would have to be um, up there. But if you're talking about like rubber to the road and what's the furthest I've driven, um, that would be from Oxford, Mississippi, up to Bethel, New York, in their, for their summer opener 2011, um, like literally weeks after graduating after we walked across the stage together. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Yeah. What is the rarest fish song you've ever gotten? This is where the real cred comes in. This is where the real cred comes in, right? Because now, while I still have a seat at the table in the grand scheme of things with fish fans, I'm probably still sitting at the kids table. <laughs> um, but I think even the most like well-renowned heads can agree Walfredo is super rare and they just, you, you, they just don't do it a lot. So I got that in 2010 in Maryland at Meriwether. Um, definitely one of the rare songs I've seen. You talk about sitting at the kids table. I've only seen them 17 <laughs> times. I, I mean, I'm not even in the room. I'm still down the street in the poor house. So that's exciting though, man. Cause think of all the songs you're chasing, you know, like oh, that's dude, exciting. What song are you still chasing with 130 something shows in the bank? Mm, that's a really good question. I would say Frankie says seems to pop up every now and then. That one definitely eludes me. You know, I would really have to like think about this one. Obviously, if I'm reaching for like an original that they've never done, like fought, you know, it was really nothing but like 28 seconds of acoustic guitar that they've never played live. Like if I'm going to be that weird hipster fish fan, I'm reaching for that. Um, but to be truthful and you know me well, um, one of the songs I'm cover are uh, I'm I'm chasing is a cover, and uh, they do an incredible version of Prince's 1999, who's one of my favorite artists of all time. So I'd have I couldn't you know I would be remiss not to mention that opportunity, even though it's not an original song. I like it. That's a good one. So that actually leads into what's your second favorite band? I mean, I, I do have to go with Prince on that one. Before that, though. The band that really got its claws into me early, and I would say between like 10 and 11, that I'm still obsessed with to this day, like still gives me that sort of like rush and that sensation I love about music is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And they put out a new album last Friday. I'm just obsessed. Like, I, you know, I'm still like sort of resonating in it. So between those three, I think that really does dominate a lot of, you know, kind of what I listen to. And, and not only that, sort of like the, the genres that spawn off from there i would say so fish prince and the red hot chili peppers awesome okay so last one who's your favorite member <laughs> well um they're all going to be listening to this so you know <laughs> i don't um i mean you know trey anastasio is just a once in a lifetime like genius i think it, it's just there's nothing that man can't do like he is so humble for how much of a genius he is but to be honest with you and like looking back on all the times I've seen them live and, and everything I've done, like I've definitely appreciated different members for different reasons and at different times too, where they've been, you know, like I said earlier, my first 
shows in 2009, I mean, they had an entire career already built before that where each member shined in different ways. But overall, as far as what I love about the band, it has to be Tranastasio. Interesting. So uh, I was expecting a different answer, and that's purely because we lived together in college. And right. I, at one See? point, at one point, at it one was a different point. Member. It was a different member. <laughs> it was. Which one was it? You remember? It was Paige. Page side, rage side. That was my guy. Okay, so so let's go all the way back to the beginning of Stu Kelly. What was your introduction to music? You know, I grew up in a household where both my parents loved music, but by the time they had kids and stuff like that, it wasn't like a forefront of, you know, like Friday evening, what album we're going to put on. Like, I didn't really grow up in that household. I'm really close with both my mom and dad, but for different reasons. And music is not really the foundation of, of that. So I found music, you know, by appreciating kind of standard what was on the radio or, or classic rock. You know, once I found that, I, I felt like more at home. And then it sort of snowballed into this weird thing where I had like a death metal phase. I had like a hip hop phase that I would, you know, come back to later in life. I had, you know, like um, all these different things just kind of like happening as I grew up. And I think my introduction to music was just sort of like a very natural thing for me personally, because I, you know, when I talked about the Red Hot Chili Peppers earlier, when I <laughs> bought Californication using dial-up internet on, on Amazon.com, I had no idea how much I would fall in love with that band. So it's really like, it kind of ebbs and flows, I think. But I found music very naturally, and I felt very much at home. I felt inspired. I felt like it was an escape. Honestly, it was going to some place that I didn't know existed, but also feeling like that could relate back to myself in some way in everyday life. And I am obsessed with music. I really am. I feel like anyone that's even the most casual fan of something they like about music, it has the ability to save their life. And that's a beautiful thing. It really is. So you talked, when did a lot of this happen? Was this in your teenage years or when did you really, because you talked about escapism and finding home in certain musics. Was this during your teenage years or was it before that? Yeah, I think where I started really paying attention to jam band specifically, and it all started with the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers, as far as what was different about classic rock and like, I, you know, love Led Zeppelin, love The Doors, like, you know, there's a lot of structure in those songs. So where I found jam bands was like the very next natural progression with the Allman Brothers and the Grateful Dead. And Fish wasn't even a bleep on my radar, radar at that time. But this all happened, I'd say about 15. I'd say between 15 and 16, that's when, when that sort of like pendulum took a, a heavy swing. What was it about the jam music that really drew you in from the classic rock and the death metal and all that? Because that's a pretty stark contrast. It is. Yeah, it really is. When jam bands first got their, their musical claws in me, I was enthralled with everything from the culture, the community, the freedom, the excitement, the, the endless sense of adventure. And on top of all of that, of course, the music and what the music was capable of doing and what the musical was, was capable of doing to me as well. And Fish has a, a lyric, um, Surrender to the Flow. And the crowd always cheers when it doesn't matter how many times they play that song, like the trick was to surrender to the flow. And that's just so much truth in that little simple sentiment. 
and that's really what it, what started growing from within me. Like it, it really did feel like some sort of seed got planted. It didn't take much for that to blossom and take and really get a hold of me. And it's just so much more outside of just the music. And that's why it's funny being such a big fan of this stuff and hearing outsiders, you know, speak negatively about it and, and things like that. And all the stereotypes, I'm not here to debunk them. So not how to change anyone's mind. If you don't like fish at this point and they're like well into their 50s, they've been around long enough. Like that's on you. It's totally cool. <laughs> and tickets are pretty hard to get. <laughs> If you don't even like them, don't. yeah, we don't. We don't need any more competition trying to get paid. <laughs> you ever wrestled Ticketmaster? Shit sucks. <laughs> yeah, we don't need any more competition going after tickets. It's hard enough as it is, man. It really is. Okay, so tell me about. So you got into the dead. You got into the almond bros. How? What was that step to finding fish? So I was at boarding school at the time, <laughs> like many troubled youth, find champions in general. I was handed an official release. Uh, from a friend. Uh, it was in Brooklyn. So this was maybe like, I, I was probably, I turned 15 at this point. I liked what I heard, but cause it was new and I was like, it was weird, you know, which I, which I kind of embraced, but I'll be honest, like it took some time for me to really like fully understand how talented this band is and what they're actually doing, what they're capable of. So while my first introduction to the band was a live album, which is like a great way to get exposed, I had to go back to their studio stuff to like train my ear, understand different changes, like really hone in on the structured part of their songs. And then once they break free and unleash that, that, that shield of like nothingness into the realm of possibility, you can switch on your, your ear and your brain and be like that. Now they're jamming now, now they're getting after it or like, that's different. So once I figured that out, it was like the floodgates were just open. But it, it was a very gradual sort of like build, I think. Also, here's what's weird about that. During that time, the band was broken up. The, the first live album I ever listened to was recorded in 2004. And I was listening to this maybe a year, year and a half later. Um, so there was no realm of possibility of me seeing this band at the time as well. So I did sort of like bury them away in this weird little file cabinet that lived the Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia and, you know, never really thought would be what it, what it is to me today. So you, you've talked about it twice now and you've talked about the fans. If you're not a fan yet, if you don't like it, and then you talked about it, not hooking yourself in the first time, something that I've thought about in just my own personal fandom with this band is like the concept of getting it right. And it is italicized because it with this band is so unique and so different. It really is an acquired taste. And it's really difficult to describe that to people. Can you explain it a little bit? Yeah, it is really hard to describe to people. You're absolutely right. It's such a deep spiritual connection. It's not until people like open themselves up to those kinds of possibilities where it is actually like meditative and like healing. And you know what I mean? Like it just really does take you to this place. And that's done because the band is experimenting live, coming up with what happens at the top of their heads, listening to each other band member, feeding off energy from the audience, a very symbiotic relationship. It's a two-step really had to sum it up. It's first off, open your mind to those possibilities. Understand that that's possible. Second is like, go buy a ticket, embed yourself in 20,000 people who are also trying to do the same thing. Like I was telling a lighthearted joke earlier, you know what I mean? Like, 
anyone that's interested in getting into fish, please do it. It will change your life. And my favorite people are the people it's like, this is my first show, or this is my third show. It's like, that's, there's just so much that's yet to unfold in that person. I, I just get so excited. I think it's such a beautiful thing. Kind of going off tangent a little bit, and we'll come back because of this. What was your first concert? Oh man. Um, because we are a live music podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my first concert, the one that I attribute, like the, the one I was really excited to go see the one that my parents let me go see. And like, we had to buy tickets together was Lincoln park touring the hybrid theory album oh. in London at O2 arena. I was like 10 years old. I forgot you lived in London for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Four years. Um, so that was my first like concert concert that I really attribute it to. And just remember the feeling of like, Oh, it's not this Friday. It's next Friday. And like, or, you know, and days leading up and the tickets coming in the mail and, you know, asking parents permission. And like my dad took me, my brother and a couple of my friends from school. So it's just like an incredible experience. Everything I wanted, I got that night and something of course started there unbeknownst to me at the time, you know, I was probably more interested in playing sports than I was chasing concerts at, at 10. Um, but that was my first one. That was definitely the one where I look back and, and deep fond and like high memories. Do you think anything opened up that night that gave you kind of, I mean, you alluded to it, but opened up that night to kind of give you a hunger for more of that. You talk about seeing fish as many times as you've had that night had to have opened something up, right? It did actually. It, it, it did because it, it was the first time that the CD I was listening to all the time translated to like a giant venue full of fans. So already now I've got like these different variables I'm trying to process. Like, what does this room look like? What is this space? Like, I'm just used to listening to it in my living room with maybe my brother, if he's, if he wants to hear, you know, one step closer to the edge for the 13th time that day or whatever it was. And uh, so there were things I was looking at that I didn't really even think about, like the crowd and the light and, and all of these like high sensory variables coming at me at once. So you're absolutely right, man. Like something definitely happened that night. And I think that got awoken later you know, when I, when I did hit my like teenage years and late teenage years and stuff like that. So I'm a, we're, we're drawing a little closer to your first fish concert, but I want to talk about a night. And I can only say this because we were friends and I got to experience this with you the night that fish came back in 2009. Yeah. Uh, I have very distinct memories of that <laughs> night. You and I, and our, in my future roommates, your current roommates, yeah. uh, Mosin and Will, we sat around the living room at your apartment and we, we didn't, they didn't have live stream then they weren't doing their shows yet. We sat on Twitter all night, refreshing our feed to see what songs they were playing. <laughs> and we, and like people were trolling and throwing out like crazy songs in the middle of it. Do you remember that night as well? I do. I do. And I'm so happy you're bringing this up because that, that really was a special time. And, and we were like on Twitter and then someone had their, you know, computer open. We were just refreshing fish.net and there were no streams. We were just waiting for a song to pop up <laughs> on the computer computer screen or the cell phone like right there you know and that and we would just be like oh my god they're playing you know this and uh i remember that because i alluded to this earlier in uh, in high school when i discovered the band it wasn't even like a, a foresight that i would get to see them live i just sort of knew that they weren't playing um so them coming back at hampton in 2009 obviously changed everything for me it just you know i, I felt like i could even further experienced this love I developed for this band in ways that I didn't even know were possible. 
And Mo, you know, at the time you were right, my roommate, your future roommate, I remember him shaking me awake that day when, when the band announced they were coming back and shaking me awake and being like, they're the fishes reuniting. And I was like, stop messing with me. Come on. It's like enough. And he's like, not only are they coming back, but they're coming back in your home state of Virginia. <laughs> and we were in Mississippi at the time. Within six hours, we're looking at Greyhound bus tickets out of Memphis. Like not, you know, of course, that was probably foreshadowing. <laughs> um, we, of course, like got shut out. So, yeah, as the story you said uh, of us, like just hanging out in the apartment, refreshing the feed and, and talking with each other is a memory I do cherish really well. And um, definitely the start of a brand new chapter of me experiencing the band. It was shortly after that that they announced tour dates. What was your next steps after that? I do. I remember that just, you know, thinking, well, they, they always play in the summer, right? They never take off summer. If my memory serves me correctly, they announced Bonnaroo first in 2009. Yep. And, and then, you know, obviously they had already had a, a, a tour booked like unbeknownst to us fans. So everyone tries to flood to Bonnaroo to get tickets. Um, I think I like was too broke at the time or Bonnaroo was just like out of the question. Maybe I didn't have a way there and back whatever reason, <laughs> something very real logistically stopped me from going. But then when they announced the rest of the tour, I'm like, well, we have to do one. Right. And, and the one that I went to was in Indiana. Like it wasn't even anywhere remotely near Mississippi. It, it was, it was like an 11 hour drive or, or, you know, something crazy. And I had so much fun. We decided to go to Alpine Valley the next day before we had to come home and go back to class. And I just, it wasn't even a second thought in our minds. Like everyone had enough for gas. Everyone had enough for a hotel room. Every, you know, we would split hotel room and food and stuff like that. And we would just figure it out, but we had to have tickets in hand, get in the car and just go and go do it. And, and that's what we did. And it was just incredible. You talk about not having the money to afford gas or hotel or food or any of that, but you, you found a way to make it happen. Why was that urge so bad? A lot of people probably think, well, that's foolish. If you don't have the money, don't spend the money. But what was the urge within you that made you say, I'm going to do this regardless? It was just sort of a driving force within me was like, it was such a calling. It was like a magnetic field. Like I had to do this for myself. I had to like, see what this was like. I, I, I had to let myself take this obsession that had already fully, you know, like encapsulated what I loved so much about music and was growing insanely inside of me and, and let that release, like let that burst into something brand new. So um, of course it was financially irresponsible looking back over the last, however many years, 138 shows isn't exactly the most financially responsible resume. Um, but I'll tell you, it's a lot of fun <laughs> to do. Um, so seeing that first one, like as long as we had tickets, I think we just sort of knew inherently that it would all fall in place somehow. So you, you arrive in Indiana, you park at the venue. Tell me what happens. So we get there and you know, like we can see the lot, quote unquote, on the horizon. And like up until this point, we had just watched like Grateful Dead videos or like maybe old fish tour lot videos online, like, you know, had never really seen anything to me. Of course, anyone that's not familiar with it, it is a traveling circus. It really is like whether or not people are following the band date to date and stop to stop, or they're just there for that night and, you know, they go home or somewhere regionally, whatever. It is a traveling circus. And much like the band set list and the show, it's different every night. So we were excited to experience that of just like 
take a lap for the first time ever and see if all the folklore that we had like, you know, created in our mind was true and, and, and what it was like and, and things like that. So that's how the day started. Again, we had tickets, so we didn't have to worry about anything like that. We did have to worry about, however, was the weather. The weather was coming in with a crazy lightning storm. You know, we were on the lawn, the back of the venue, totally exposed to the elements. At one point, the, the weather got so bad, Paige actually came out, made an announcement that the band has to take a break. Everyone in the pavilion, stay exactly where you are. Everyone on the lawn, go back to your cars and just wait. We'll be back out soon. We didn't leave. Okay. Like, of course we didn't leave the lawn (laughs) because why would we leave the lawn? The band is going to come back. (laughs) Lightning, what lightning? Like, you know, it just wasn't forefront of our mind. So, you know, besides that minor little hiccup where we missed maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes of, of music, we had nothing to worry about. We were totally free. We, we had made it. We, we had done this incredible trip. We're so far away from home. We're about to see our favorite band and all this stuff. And uh, it, it was just incredible. It's just an incredible day. Did you worry that with that storm that you were going to miss, like you'd driven all this way and you were going to miss this big pivotal moment that you'd wanted for so long and just have that let down looming? Was that a, was that a real threat? I absolutely did. I'm not going to lie. And, you know, like I just, I thought like, um, well, it's not supposed to be this way, you know, like, or for whatever reason, you just have this fantasy and this dream in your mind and doesn't matter things like weather and like outside variables. Like it's not supposed to be that way because that's not the way I dreamed it. So I was, I was worried. Um, but you know, it worked out for the best and there's some weird symbolism there as well. Like, even though there's something happening that you can't control, if you're able to channel your mind and free yourself from like any restraints and restrictions, I think you'll be happy with whatever happens two, three, four hours down the line. Um, so waiting at weather patterns and listening to fish jams go type two somehow makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> was there anything notable, any notable performances that night? Anything that really sticks out to you that was like, wow, that was a great, yeah, so great jam, great song selection, anything like that? Following the set list of that tour and everything and, and keeping an eye on what they were playing, especially leading up to that show. A lot of the songs I was hoping to hear were just slowly getting crossed off. And like, you know, for the next three, at least three, maybe four or five, they're not going to play those songs. So the song I knew that was very much a possibility, one I absolutely loved right off the bat was Twist. And what I loved about it is like, you know, obviously tracing is, you know, wouldn't twist tone that way. And there's a little pause and the woo and, and stuff like that. The whole crowd is it's something now as a fan, I've like so grown to expect and it's something I love so much, but you know, it's a structure part where fish fans are allowed to woo because anyone that doesn't think we're, we're nerds, we're, we're such nerds that we make rules for what you can and can't do <laughs> at the show. Uh, but it's one of the times that the crowd is allowed to woo together. <laughs> and um, I just, I just remember feeling like they did play twist that night. And I just remember feeling so happy that I got, you know, one of the songs I really wanted to hear. <laughs> it's so funny. You talk about the woos. I have to tell a personal story. So <laughs> I was seeing fish in Alpharetta. It may have been 2018, 2019. I don't remember when it was, but they played vultures and Mosin was watching the live stream and he texted me and he said, don't woo. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so that's like that's telling how much that that rule had already been like oh, yeah. fully embedded in the community. There's so many different little little rules like that. Oh, yeah. And it's just a funny funny thing, but uh we're allowed to woo in Twist. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> so so talking about the rules, what is what is this subculture to the band where there's rules and stats and analytics and all this stuff? Tell me about this. I mean, not many bands have that kind of subculture to them. What is it about Fish that makes people go that crazy for them. You know, I think it's just that there's so much to be, you know, there's so much to offer in this community for so many different people. It really doesn't matter about your musical background. It really doesn't matter about the color of your skin or where you're from or what it is that you like about the music, just that you like the music or you like me or you like doing this or listening to this music. When you have so much to offer, when you have a band that has just been on fire for as long as Fish has, you know, that does attract a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. Um, with that being said, there's always like a downside to that. And I'm not going to say it's all love and light as fish fans like to say, or sunshine and rainbows. Like there's a lot of people arguing that can't seem to agree on stuff that doesn't really matter and making little rules, like punishing people for wooing out of queue or, or whatever. Like there's so many little things like that, that are just silly and and can be downright embarrassing at times. When you have a band that's as big as Fish is, and they're still, you know, in the grand scheme of things, fly pretty much under the radar, you know, no real radio hits, no Grammys, no Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations, like just so many things about them that most people don't know about. There's a thriving subgenre and subcommunity in this little bubble of American music. So what... So what happened after Deer Creek? You talked about going to Alpine Valley after that because you had so much fun. Was it just you were finally jumping on the train because it was back? Or was it just, was it everything you hoped it would be? Like hitting Alpine Valley. So they were doing two nights at Alpine Valley after Deer Creek. They only did one night at Deer Creek in 2009. Um, So we went to Alpine Valley. And of course, like complete amateurs, we drove through the city of Chicago instead of driving around it. (laughs) <laughs> and you know almost we're, we're late for the show and stuff like that um but we just honestly our train of thought was like this was we we had sort of planned to like go anyway before we had gone to deer creek but we realized we were going to be so far away from home at that point that it just makes sense to it doesn't matter where they're going just follow the band in whatever direction their tour buses happen to be heading the next day and go see them again and do that now we only got to go to the first night because we had to come back and actually go to class and stuff like that. And so we missed an incredible second night at Alpine Valley in 2009, but it was just sort of like a no brainer that we're already out here. You know, we're, we're out here so far away from our own sense of normalcy that let's continue this sense of adventure. Let's, let's do this again. So did you see any more shows in 2009 or was it just those two? I saw one more. I didn't. So this, it was funny because Mo, um, who's like now becoming a reoccurring character on this podcast, which I love (laughs) our old roommate from Ole Miss, him, him and I obviously planned a lot of like the 2009 shows together, but I saw them one more time that year at Meriwether, uh, in their fall tour because it was close to where I'm from originally. That's right. I was supposed to go to that one with you. You were, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I was um, my, because that, I was up there for yeah. uh, I was up there for Dave Matthews. That's it. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, we. I had a ticket for the show, and 
one my friend George didn't have a ticket. We were just like yeah. waiting, trying so hard to get him out. It was not happening. The band walks out on stage. They open with Axilla. We can hear it perfectly, like from the entrance. This beautiful, beautiful woman, like blonde hair or whatever, has her finger in the air. And I'm like, George, I don't know what to tell you, man. If she can't find a ticket, like you are so, so screwed. You're just not getting in this venue. Um, so somehow, <laughs> so somehow uh, this guy came up with like a bunch of extra tickets. She got one, this random stranger. My friend George got one. This guy had like two extras when we were going in. And we didn't even stop to think like, who is this mystery angel from the fish parking lot? And by the time we got inside the venue, they were playing party time for the first time ever. It was the debut of party time. So I remember dancing through the aisles and like weaving in and out of people. And my friend George is in tow and I was with my friend Sean. And we you know, just got that feeling again of we made it. That's awesome. <laughs> it felt so good. That, that was show number three. Now you're at 130 something. What was so insatiable in between that made you just keep going? You know, like in the beginning, it, it very much was like driven by the sense of the unknown and that anything is possible. I have to be there or else I'm going to miss out. And like, it wasn't just stat chasing. It wasn't just like, let me see as many different unique songs as I can, or let me cross off all these super rare songs as I can. It was more of like, they're going to do something really cool. And I would rather be in attendance than not be in attendance. <laughs> and it was just a lot of that, like fear of missing out, just, just the sense of I wanted to see it. Um, and, and that obviously, like, I still love fish and, and whatever, but I think I was reckless in that year, 2013, that I, I told you about. Like, that's the best way to sum it up. I was just completely reckless. Um, I was working like three part-time dead end jobs at the time and saving every single penny I could just to do what I did and like go on tour tour and go to every show. So that has since like cooled down inside of me. I don't have this like dire burning sensation to, to go see every single show. Um, but there was a lot of that for years of, I have to be there. It's going to be awesome. They're going to do something and I'm going to kick myself if I'm not in the crowd. Why do you think it started dying down? Did you get tired or was it you were just reached a point where you weren't enjoying it as much as before? To be honest, I feel like fish really did dominate not only a lot of what I listened to for so long. And like, I'm talking years, like it was just fish. Um, it like became my identity if that, you know, if I'm being totally honest with you. And I realized that there's just this entire world of music out there and that I fell in love with a lot of different kinds of music to begin with. And I closed myself off from those possibilities and, and stuff like that. Um, so I took some time to like go rediscover some, some of the stuff I loved originally. And like, I, I fell back in love with hip hop again. And like just the, the golden area of like the mid nineties, early two thousands hip hop. And, you know, a lot of classic rock I started listening to again. It, it just sort of became like a, let's l loosen the grips a little bit on this one band and like still love and put them, you know, in, in such high regard, but there's other stuff to do. There's other stuff to go see. There's an entire world out there to experience and it doesn't need to be just dictated and driven by one band. So while I let myself do that for what any normal same person would say is way too long. Um, I felt like it was just sort of a natural evolution, natural step. And uh, some people call it growth. <laughs> I want to, I want to tell a brief story just to illustrate that for people because, and I've told you this before as well is so when we were in college and when we were roommates together, you had these huge speakers. I mean, just massive. <laughs> they were almost as tall as I am. 
they're like four, four and a half feet tall or five feet. I don't know. They're massive things. And you played so much fish on those stupid speakers <laughs> that I started hating fish because I got, I know, I know it makes me, feel I terrible. literally didn't listen to fish for like three or four years because I got so burned out on those two years that we lived together because I heard fish so much from those speakers like that. How what's it grooving bad? slowly? Oh, grooving slowly. Yeah. By John <laughs> Butler, uh, you probably like still can't listen to that song without being just like oh, catapulted back to, to eat to no. Knoxville, Mississippi. No. And, um, I, God, I really did play too much fish. Like people listening are going to be like, okay, this is just exaggerating. Like, no, it was for years it, too much fish. And that really was in, in 2009 when you were talking about, yeah. like these rains didn't really like loosen up until like, I don't know, 2018, 20, 2017. Like, um, that's a long time. It, it really is. It's just so, I feel so bad to be that stereotypical asshole fish fan that plays his his jam band music so much that his friend who he's like loves and cares about starts hating this band (laughs) how bad is that (laughs) i came back around you did yeah but i mean that's i mean to further illustrate this point to further illustrate your point of like your fish fandom I, i want you to tell people when you opened your bedroom door what was on the wall and why was it on the wall there well, there was a lot of stuff on my wall. Uh, I, well, no, when you, when you opened the door, no, no, no. When you opened your door to the common space of our apartment oh. area, there was oh. a wall of the kitchen and you had two or three things on that wall and you specifically put them on that wall. And I quote from you saying, because I want it to be the first thing I see every morning when I wake up. It's my giant peace sign tie-dye tapestry. <laughs> Right? No, are you talking about? No, it was are you not. talking about the the posters? It was a it was a signed photograph oh of Paige God. McConnell yes. playing guitar. Of course, dude. It How could a, I forget? I still have it. Of and, course. And, ne- and next to that was a drawing of Trey Anastasio, and he was doing his O face. And you literally said you want that to be the first thing you see every morning is Trey's O face. It's like so. my religion, right? Like some people say the Pledge of Allegiance, some people like pray in the morning, yeah, my signed photograph of Paige playing a guitar and the sketch of Trey doing his O-face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so 130 shows. You had to have seen some stuff in that time. So what about notable song performances or just those moments or interesting songs that got played, big jams? What, what are some of the things that are sticking out to you? I think one of my favorite jams that I've been in the room for where I was just like, oh my God, what are they doing? And then 10 minutes go by and I'm like, how are they still doing this? And then, you know, five more minutes go by and I'm like, I can't believe they're still doing this is the Hampton tweezer from 2013. That was a time where what I really loved about that jam specifically was it showed a lot of Trey's leadership where right out the gates, he took a backseat. He actually didn't just like start ripping up like a piercing solo and, and, let his guitar do all the talking. He was pretty heavy on like these rhythmic power chords, literally leaning back, like almost trying to be out of the spotlight that was shining down on his microphone. And what Paige and Mike did, what they were able to like kind of paint over the groove that Fishman had, it just really relaxed the band and the audience for that matter. Like it relaxed the band. You could tell something was brewing, something was building slowly. It's like, 
water that starts to boil. It's like, you know, you can maybe see a few bubbles starting at the bottom and then all of a sudden no time goes by at all. And it's like a full roaring bubble. And that's definitely what that jam felt like for me. It was one that when it was over, I felt like I cannot wait to go back and listen to that. And two, I'm so happy that that is cemented in musical history forever. You know, like I can always go back and live that again. That's actually one of my questions I was going to ask. What notable in fish history shows have you attended? I mean, they've had like, I mean, I'm thinking through some of their more recent ones like uh, Magna Ball and um, what was the Halloween where they did the um, the haunted house yeah. and stuff like, you know, some of those more notable. Are there were you at any of those more notable shows that, you know, live on in fish history, unlike some of my Oak Mountain shows and whatnot? <laughs> Well, first off, you know, we've definitely seen some pretty killer shows together in the South that are kind of yes. one-offs and like away from sort of the New Year's Eve or the Halloween or whatever. And we've been lucky to see those together. Yeah. I think, you know, when you, what's cool about Fish and the Grateful Dead or, or whatever is that you name a year and you can name a song and the hardcore fans know exactly the venue you're talking about. So, you know, if I say Hampton Tweezer to someone, they're going to think 2013 you know, because that's the year that they played this epic version of, of Tweezer at happened to be at Hampton. But I think uh, for me, like the Halloween runs have always been special. And then obviously the New Year's Eve shows, they play three sets on New Year's and there's always this like really exciting gag, something theatrical indoors that happens between the second set and the third sets. Those have always been like my personal uh, love of the band. have always been like really important to me. I, I saw 10 straight New Year's Eves Wow. Which is just ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely a lot. ridiculous. Each one was, was different. Did you make it to any of the Baker's Dozens? I did. I got lucky and I made it to three of them. Um, and uh, it's funny because the Baker's Dozen is where Fish brought back Prince's cover of 1999. For the first time they had done it since New Year's Eve 1998. So that happened to be on like a random day of the week. It was like a Tuesday or Wednesday. And I'm just chilling at home. I don't even think I'm watching the stream at this point. Like the, I'm, I'm with friends, like maybe watching a game or something. All of a sudden my phone starts blowing up. I mean, I was like, what is happening? Is this like an emergency? And I have some friends that were in the venue and they're like, oh, it's, you know, oh, you missed out. Like you, you, you missed it. It's 1999. And I didn't believe them, of course. And then I check social media and like every people are tagging me and like making fun of me. Some are sending their condolences. Like, you know, it really is like that. Um, so that's what the Baker's Dozen Rum was 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 capable of. So I feel very lucky to have only been able to go to three of the Baker's Dozen shows. Those were really special. So I'm going to ask this next question, and I, I require complete honesty uh -oh. with this answer. Do you feel that you ever got jaded seeing so many shows? Do you ever felt you were entitled in your fandom or that you didn't enjoy it as much as you did your first couple of shows? I'm going to give you this honest answer you ask for Mr. Lance. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I, I talk about like, it's, it's the fans that have seen one, two, three shows. Like those are, are my favorite people. Because when I was walking out of Deer Creek at my first show, I had gotten separated from my friends and we were like texting, like just meet you at the car first when we figure it out. And I was walking with this couple who is a little bit older than me. And, and we we're just talking, running down the set list and things like that. And they said, how many shows have you been to? And I actually said, that was my first show. And they stopped me dead in my tracks and gave me this big hug and this, and said, welcome home. 
And from that moment on, I've always tried to pass that on to everyone that is at the venue or wants to come to the venue or is generally interested in the band. So I don't think I got jaded, like a sense of entitlement, like just because I had seen a higher number of shows than the average person or whatever, that has certainly never happened. But I do feel like there are songs, if I'm being totally honest, that I just could do without hearing for a little bit. And maybe if they put those on the shelf for five years or they jam it out, you know, in in like 10 years or or whatever it is, then that love will kind of like revive itself. But there's certainly some songs that just don't hit me the the same way the rest of the repertoire does, for sure. What what are those songs? Well, here you are asking your follow-up questions again, (laughs) Mr. Journalist. (laughs) Let's uh, let's establish that credibility. (laughs) Well, you say establish credibility. I think if I answer this, I'm going to, a lot of people are going to be upset, but I'm just going to be honest anyway. I don't like, I'm going to be honest, I don't like the song backwards down the number line. I, it doesn't do it for me. I don't feel like they ever really jam it. Um, it was also, ironically, the first song I ever heard live at my first show. So I should have known from the beginning that uh, it would follow me everywhere. It's also the song I've heard the most times. I think I've heard it like 39 times total. So, you know, it, for me at this point, it's just like jam it, like really jam it or put it on the shelf. Now, I say a lot of people will, will not like that answer because uh, 2.0 fans, quote unquote, the guys that got to see the band up until they broke up in 2004, really love Backwards Down the Number Line because it is a promise to the future. It is the big stamp that says we're back, we love each other and we're friends and this song is about being happy and love and like we want to share it with you. So, you know, the fans that, had to say goodbye to their band and got to, got to, you know, receive them back in loving arms have such a deep affinity with that song. And I totally get it. But for me, I've seen it a lot. They don't, I can't really pinpoint a single version that stands out over the other, you know, 38 or whatever. Like it's just one that doesn't quite do it for me, you know? And I'm, and I'm being honest with you, Mr. Ingram, I'm giving you that, that that honesty that you asked for. (laughs) That was honestly not a, I mean, I would probably say the same thing. I haven't gotten it 38 times, you know, 39 times, but uh, I mean, I, I, I understand what it represents to the band and to the fans, but, you know, personally for me, it's, it's a chance to go to the bathroom. You know, I can appreciate that they're, I can appreciate that they're happy and that they want you to be happy and all that good stuff. But, I, I'm with you on that one. I was expecting you to drop like Tweezer or Harry Hood or something. <laughs> like I was ready for this bombshell. Oh no! So, yeah, that that was not the that was not the controversial answer I expected. So good for you. Well, good for and, you. and I thank you because I've definitely had that this conversation with fans and. And they're like, what? Are you serious? Do you not like the band being happy and healthy? And like, do you not like the start of the the whole chapter that you've been a part of? And so I just very uh put my head down, bashfully answer that question. <laughs> well, I mean, that's an interesting question as well, because I mean, you can't like, so I mean, for those who don't know, fish has three versions of fish. Basically you have 1.0, which is from the early years to what the, the first breakup. Yeah. And then you have 2.0, which is the second go round when they got back together before the, the breakup. And then 3.0, which started in 2009 when they got back together in Hampton. Right. So you are a 3.0 fan. Right. Yeah. So how does that affect your fandom when you have, you know, 1.0 fans that, oh, I saw them in 94, I saw them on the 98 tour, all this good stuff. How does being a 3.0 fan affect your fandom? You know, I think in the beginning, there was a little bit of like, oh, maybe I don't 
like maybe it's not that I don't belong here. It's that like, I don't have my stripes in like a weird kind of way. I was also so like so much younger and just, okay. Yeah. You got to see fish in the nineties. Like I was, I was, I was 10 years old in 1998, you know, like they had already completely embedded themselves in the jam band community at that point, showing no sign that they were growing anywhere. So when I first got to see them in 2009, I think there was a little bit of like that uneasy, like I'm, I'm lucky to be here, but like also a little embarrassed type feeling you know, there's two people that really helped pour gasoline on the embers as far as me falling in love with the band. And it was a couple I worked with down at Smith Mountain Lake. They were a little bit older than me. And the husband, his name is Derek and the wife, her name is Meredith. And they're two just incredibly amazing people, like just beautiful souls. And just, we're still friends to this day, but they really, they loved fish, obviously. And they saw them all in the nineties and throughout 2000 and stuff like that. Um, we would listen to fish and I would ask them questions and they would just get so excited. They'd be like, come on, Stu, what else you got? Like, they just want to talk, talk, talk about fish all the time. And if I was like, oh, yeah, I found a new song today. I really like this one. Like, you know, they'd want to dissect that and, and figure out like, you know, they would never be like, oh, that song sucks. Like, you know, in 10 years from now, if someone comes to me and go, I love Backwards on the Number Line. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. Like, I'm never going to say like, that's trash. You know, they don't jam it. <laughs> Derek and Meredith really helped me embrace this like obsession for fish. And they act as like guides as, as cheesy as that sounds to like help me really navigate through my, my exploration of the band way before I got to see them live or even, you know, thought that would be a possibility it's before I went to college, my stats thrown well into this community being that, you know, we're well over 10 years since my first show and, and, uh, just an incredible place. I, I feel like now here I am reflecting on it. It really doesn't matter at all because it wasn't supposed to be. I was supposed to ebb and flow with this band. I was supposed to find myself and get lost at the same time. I was supposed to learn about who I was as a person, not how, what I could learn about this one band as much as that, that could be itself. So in, in that sense, I've accomplished all of those things already. Like, you know, and, and that's what jam band music and fish specifically has really helped me do. So why, why fish 130 something times and not, another band the red hot chili peppers yeah. 130 something times what what about fish separates that and i mean there's a lot of questions coming to mind right now so why not another band why why is it fish and what would it take for another band to be to replace that spot so i i think the chili peppers is a really cool example because like not only do i love them just as much as i love fish but their shows are different in a sense that yeah they will improvise quote unquote at times and you know, their set lists, while they are a little predictable, they do have certain songs that are openers that you can expect that they don't play every single night. They do have songs that are going to be in the encore slot, like Give It Away or whatever, that may not always appear in the exact same space every night. And the songs, if you see them live, they're not going to sound like the studio albums of the Chili Peppers. But that being said, they don't really embrace this sense of improvisation like Fish. And at the time, Fish was doing it better than any other jam band. Like I, I don't care who I get, I get upset with that comment. Like that's just my opinion. I feel like fish was doing it at a level that was like Michael Jordan in the nineties. Like it was just the best to see. So a combination of them being the band that showed the most promise and talent and dedication to their craft. And then the sec the second point to that is like 
they want to improvise. They want to open it up and explore different musical avenues um, with the audience and stuff like that. It, it's sort of like a responsibility for them at this point. It's not even like a question. It's like, if you go to a fish show, there's going to be stuff that's unique to that space and time in that moment that will try to be captured again in different ways, of course, but it won't ever be the same. You know, that, that blueprint really got laid by the Grateful Dead and, and by the Allman Brothers, who took it from jazz and whatever sort of improvisational music existed prior to that. So the reason for like me seeing fish as many times as I did was kind of like what I talked about earlier of like, they're going to do something that's so out of this world and so different and so exploratory that I have to be there. And I don't think another band really like grabbed myself like that. Now, Chili Peppers just announced like, I don't know, uh, 60 plus dates on a world tour right now. If I was lucky enough to see 25 straight shows like I did in 2013 for fish, I would have a lot of fun. Like I really, really would have a lot of fun, but I don't think it would have the sort of like natural drive and like push that fish does for me. So it's, it's really hard to explain because I, I love so much different, so many different kinds of music. Um, I really have this like deep connection to music, but I feel like if anyone that even knows me slightly and, you know, you, you know me well, like fish is certainly part of that. It's just so part of, of who I am as far as like what I love about uh, bands and music and stuff like that. So th this next one's a, a two-part question. What band have you seen the second most and how many times have you seen? Gosh, man, this is really hard. Um, wow. I would really have to think about that. You're telling me you don't keep track of it? <laughs> you tell me you don't have another app on your phone to tell you of all the places and years you've seen this band. I, I feel like it would have to be another jam band just because I saw widespread panic live before I saw fish live. Um, so I think panic would be a close second. Uh, and if I had to, I, I should know my exact panic shows like off the top of my head, but, uh, I think just over 20, like it's not, you know, pales in comparison to, to fish, but yeah, even, even artists like Xavier Rudd, who I've been seeing since 2006 or Keller Williams since like 2005, like I still don't think those quite hold a candle to like a, a second or third place. I would have to go with widespread panic as a band I've seen the second most. That's, and that's kind of what I was getting to is the fact of just exemplifying how much passion you have for fish because i mean there's clearly a divide between fish and everyone else you know you look at my top three bands and they're all around 20 20 something shows each give or take and you know i, I think that more than anything exemplifies how much you love this band yeah it's certainly a testament to it and um you know is that always the best thing like going back to our living time together like blasting this band every time i was awake and in the apartment like that's ridiculous <laughs> you know what i mean that's that i had such a lack of uh regard not just for how disrespectful that was to a common space but also how much you're ingesting of this band itself like so yeah there's definitely been a a, a lot of, of personal growth <laughs> throughout my love for fish but it's it's always going to be there. Like, I will always love this band, no matter what. And I feel really lucky to to have the experiences I've, I've been able to have with them live. And, and they'll always have a really big place in my heart, no doubt. So you still listen to them today? I do. Yeah, I, I absolutely do. 
you know, I have, I have Sirius XM. I absolutely love it. So I'm constantly on fish radio jam on the new nugs channel just to like, see what's going on in, in the jam band community. Um, I'm going to throw on some fish specifically, you know, I keep up with like what they're, what they're doing currently. And if they do a really cool jam that I don't happen to be at, like I'm going to check it out or very much on social media and the message boards and all that. So when people are talking about something or a show, I get curious, I'm going to check it out. There's also this endless reservoir of music that I I haven't listened to every single fish show. I haven't listened to every single note they've played live in their illustrious career. So there's a lot to go back and listen to as well. Obviously when I, when I do see them live, like I'm just kind of hooked on that last show and I want to re-experience it, let it marinate and, and listen, whether it's in my car or like in my room or like, you know, in my commute, constantly like diving back into that. But yeah, I, I still very much listen to them. It's just, I listen to a lot more stuff now too. <laughs> you got to believe me. <laughs> <laughs> so since you didn't give me a controversial answer with which song you could do away with, I'm going to set you up for a controversial answer because I know you and I have talked about this before. Is there anyone that could take over the fish mantle if fish retire today? And are they currently touring? And are they currently a young band that's named after a specific bird? <laughs> this be Yeah, the answer is yes. And yes, Lance, that, that band is, as far as what I've seen and what I've felt personally, next in line to take over what fish has done. Um, and for anyone with a giant question mark out there that may be listening, that band is called goose and goose is just amazing. Now here's the thing about your, the, the thesis of your question. Here's the thing about this. Cause it, right. You gotta, <laughs> I don't approach this delicately. There's been a lot of chatter over the years of different bands of like who it's going to be. And at one time it was, talk at one time it was twiddle at one time it was spafford and i think now the general consensus is like it actually is goose as long as fish is around and they want to do what what they're capable of doing their goose is gonna have to patiently wait you know in in the wings (laughs) you see what i did there um (laughs) for for that that sort of like to open up naturally but i i do i get excited by this i know it is sort of like a controversial thing but i'm excited that in my mind in my heart like there is a next of kin there is like this young band that is poised to to grow and and that fish is done um because for a long time it was i would just dismiss this question as like like well fish is healthy happy and they're if we're lucky, we'll, we'll get another, you know, 20 years or so of them making music. Why would I even think about who's next in line until goose came along and they really have like, just grabbed me in that way where fish did in the beginning. They're fresh. They're unique. It feels like a breath of fresh air. And I, I just think the best is yet to come for that band. I really do. And in the last few years alone, have really proven that, that they are, not messing around and really, really good at this thing. I'm sorry to set you up like that. <laughs> I think I went uh, pretty you well. Did. And honestly, well. Uh, I like that you threw me that underhand pitch. I, I like that you threw me that <laughs> underhand pitch though, because you know I got I got to throw it back to the host here on this show. Like, do you feel? Would you agree with that, or do you think it's still too early, or or how do you feel? No, I I, I genuinely generally agree. Uh, the only thing that kind of holds me back from 100 percent is. Like you said, there's been so many bands to come along in the last 15, 20 years that everybody like, this is the next fish. This is going to step in. 
you know, and everybody makes the comparison about when Jerry died, everybody left the Grateful Dead and jumped onto the fish scene. And that's why fish exploded so much. And they, you know, I, I hear a lot of just cynical talk of like, well, if trade passed away or if the band called it quits, everybody would jump on goose train to a degree. I can kind of agree. I don't, I don't think that would be reality. Um, I think Goose would still have a, like a steady climb up. I don't think it would be an overnight thing like Fish experienced. I, I do, like you said, I do get a lot of excitement from seeing Goose that I don't get from other young jam bands. They really are doing something inventive. And I think they've really tapped into the indie side of things that's so popular right now. You know, their recent article by Stephen Hyden, yeah. uh, one of my absolute favorite journalists in the world, talking about just their indie roots and how they don't want to be a jam band in the traditional sense, like fish or the dead or any of these other bands. I think that's going to be what really propels them to the next level. Plus, you know, their most recent songs, um, what, what's the hunger site? I think yeah. It's the one that yeah. released pretty recently. The new one. Yep. That, I mean, I listened to that and my first thought was, Oh my gosh, this song is going to have so much crossover success. Uh, it's such a great indie song in itself. And it, you know, there's no jam I'm sure. It's long. It's like seven minutes. But I, I genuinely agree that like I think they're going to see a different level of success because they are so rooted in the indie scenes, whereas Fish is not. So, right. I, but I, you know, I set you up, so I'll, I'll die on that cross with you as well. I do <laughs> think they will. I think they are poised if they continue to take that mantle if Fish decides to call it a day. Yeah, I, and I think not to say that this band I'm about to bring up was next in line to be the next big jam band, but it's a band that you introduced me to. And when you did, they were very much a jam band until they actively tried to uproot one foot and plant that in the indie scene. And then from there, just like grew so immensely that they're barely considered a jam band anymore, if at all. And that's Moon Taxi. And Moon Taxi has, I, I think it, you're right, especially with like the, the interviews and, and uh, it may not quite be uh, what they d- decide to choose. I think you bringing up Jerry Garcia tragically passing away is interesting as well because Fish, while they were very much forging their own path and their own identity, um, and sure, like Grateful Dead was a really big part of their inspiration for for this, you know, stuff like that. Um, It's almost like they didn't have a choice, you know, to become the next Grateful Dead. When Jerry Garcia passed away, as you said, you couldn't get a fish ticket. Like it just happened overnight. Um, and that was great for fish and what they were trying to do, but it was almost like they didn't have the choice. And I really do see fish around for the next like 15, 20 years. I'm, I'm really not exaggerating there. And that being said, like goose is going to be a completely different band in 10 to 15 years. If they want to keep making music, that light switch transition from grateful dead to fish just really blows my mind as far as the community needed a void filled and it needed it filled quickly. And that's where fish came in. And it's interesting. You brought up moon taxi. I hadn't really considered them. I I specifically remember interviewing them for an article I was writing in college where we were sitting down talking about different jam bands and things like that. They were working on a new album. I think it was their cabaret album. And they were talking about how they were listening to so many different things. They had started listening to Lady Gaga and all these different just pop and indie things. And they were talking about what a shift they made, you know, and it's interesting. I think it was, maybe last year or the year before I came, it was pretty recently. Uh, I was reading an article on Reddit or some, it was a forum on Reddit and somebody was talking about, you know, what jam bands have sold out. <laughs> and the number one answer was oh, Moon Taxi. <laughs> oh man. And, and, you know, my, my, at first, like, you know, 
I've seen Moon Taxi more than any other band. Yeah. And, and, you know, for a long time, I was on a first name basis with them. This is all stuff I'm revealing for the first time on the podcast. And I mean, and I, I love that band and I love what they do, but they did make a dramatic shift. But I, I think what a lot of people miss is that they were very intentional about that dramatic shift. Right. They didn't want that jam band attachment to them anymore. And so they left that route. Because, I mean, I, I think you'll agree that those early days, those shows were fire. I mean, they were really poised. Just there's a show on archive. You and I were at the show. It was a uh, Oxford 2010. It's up on archive.org and it is amazing. It's one of the best shows I've heard. It's so good. Wait, was that the lyric with Zookma or was that Proud Larry's? Proud Larry's. It was the last, yeah. I think it might've been the last Proud Larry show before they got too big to do shows there anymore. Um, it, yeah. It was one of the last ones. My, my first show was with you and it was at that, uh, the lyric show with Zugma, and there were like 12 people in this, venue you know that could fit I don't, I don't know what capacity is at the lyric but it's a lot and it just felt crazy because we were blown away by what they were doing on stage like just we left like floating you yeah. know we were like this that was so incredible and, and yeah you know they're a really good example because um they're just really good musicians and i think what's what's really uh what i appreciate from from moon taxi is that like you said they listen to a lot of different stuff to inspire their next musical endeavor, their next album. Um, and that jump from Melodica, which most Moon Taxi fans don't even know exists, like to Cabaret, like it's, it is, it is a different band. It yeah. is the start of something new. It's a completely different path. Yeah. So, you know, they're just incredible. They really are an incredible set of guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think bringing it back to Goose and just the jam band world, I think, you know, I think Goose still has their feet in the water enough to use another, you know, reference there. Pun. <laughs> Keep that coming. <laughs> you know, I think that's where they differ from Moon Taxi in a lot of the ways is because they really are willing to accept that mantle, whereas Moon Taxi said, no, we don't want it anymore. Right. But, I, you know, I think the thing about Goose is I think they have incredibly smart management that has a good trajectory on them. I don't think they're pushing them too hard, you know, in terms of growth. But I think they're letting it happen naturally. I think they have an incredible marketing team that does a lot of guerrilla warfare tactics online. Right. And I think that's why we've seen so much of Goose and it's why we're talking about them right now. Right. But I really do think they will, you know, they will sell out Madison Square Garden in a couple of years. You know, it, without a doubt in my mind, they will be that big. And it's because of their indie crossover, in my opinion. I think that's really what's going to sell them to the bigger scene. Let's say Goose does sell out Madison Square Garden and they have sort of like changed up their trajectory and they're not necessarily just a jam band per se. What band would you compare them to that's also at the caliber of selling out MSG? Can you, does anything come to mind as far as like what Goose could or, or maybe would sound like uh, if they reach that level? You know, it, it, it's a really hard comparison because I don't think there's a band that has the crossover between the indie and the jam like Goose does. Um, you know, I do think there's a really great artist named Riley Walker that is really heading up a lot of this indie jam stuff as well, too. I mean, he has a, a great live album that came out last year called um, Deep Fried Grandeur. You know, I mean, he's still playing clubs and bars. I mean, he has not seen that level of success yet. But, uh, you know, I think there was another article by Stephen Hyden. I think he talked to Riley in that article and he was talking about just this growing indie jam scene. And I think for the next wave of jam artists, we're going to see a lot of indie bands in the jam scene. 
I don't, I don't think it's going to be the Spaffords and fish and that kind of stuff. It's going to be more indie influenced like goose. And so I, I, I think that's where the, the scene is headed, but that's just my opinion. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I think you're definitely onto something there. And the reason I ask you is, you know, I'm always curious because like most people don't, it, it's not something they've thought about. It's not something that like just is on the tip of your tongue. You rifle off like a safe answer that most people can agree with. And that's why it's kind of an exciting one. So I've obviously done a lot of time struggling with that myself. And the only conclusion I've come up with is my morning jacket. Mm. I think they have enough of a crossover between the jam band community because their live shows are, are so incredible, but also like they've got very palatable radio hits that can be, you know, uh, appealed to by a, a different audience that, that isn't familiar with the jam band community. So if, if I were to say like, poof, 10 years go by, what band would goose be, you know, kind of close to, I, I think the jacket yeah. is a pretty safe example. No, I think that's an, an excellent answer. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, even if, they don't get to Madison Square Garden levels. I mean, my morning jacket sells out Red Rocks every year with no problem. Oh, yeah. Goose is doing the same thing right now. I mean, right. so I, I think you're absolutely right in that. So, well, we're, we're kind of going over time now. Uh, let's, I'm going to start wrapping this up. What do you got to plug, man? Tell me, tell me where people can find you, where they can learn more about you and your work and what you got going on. Man, um, this is uh, always hard for me to, to plug myself because – I definitely have a few creative outlets, but like I'm just a one man operation. I, it's just me. And before I get into that specifically, I want to say a lot of the reason I do find so much pleasure in, in doing what I do in my passions pro projects is because of you and living with you. And you and I definitely found this path together at the same time. And, and that being like music journalism as a whole. Um, so I, I do have a website called the mellow maniacs. It's, it's basically just a publication dedicated to music. That's the way I, that's my elevator pitch. You know, I do everything from like album reviews, interviews, feature articles, news, and any of that good stuff. And then in 2020, as I was just yearning for, you know, any sense of normalcy and, and whatever, as we all were, I finally conceptualized and built my photography portfolio. So I have all of my photography on there that I'm, I'm really proud of, whether it's live music, street photography, nature, animals, whatever, all that good stuff on stukellyphoto.com. So those are my two passion projects. In the same way that you have this podcast that you kept secret from me for years, I think this also <laughs> was kind of born during your time at Old Miss when, when we were discovering what what that would be like for us together so i really do appreciate you giving me that little window of opportunity but it's very hard to like sure, you know plug myself it's always a weird feeling no nah, man tell them what tell them what they need to know that's all that's all it is <laughs> ain't, ain't no problem with that well Stu, this has been an absolute blast man thank you so much for coming on and spreading the love spreading that what's it love, love and light, and light. <laughs> so i appreciate it brother uh so take care and thanks again Thanks, Lance. I love you so much, man. And dude, thank you so much for having me a guest on the show. Just like I said, when you finally unveiled it, Mo and I are complete fanboys of yesterday's concert. We love what you're doing. Um, I am secretly hoping that some episodes surface. I'm not going to tell you what those are. We'll just see if they come. Um, but yeah, really love what you're doing here. And, and thank you so much for having me. Awesome. I appreciate you, bud. I'm Lance Ingram, and this is yesterday's concert. Thanks for tuning in to another show. Sources and more information on today's show are available on our website, yesterdaysconcert.com. While you're there, check out some old episodes or connect with us on Twitter 
at ConcertPod or on Instagram at Yesterday's Concert. And until next time, take care of your shoes. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You just bought a home in the suburbs, but no one told you about all the birds, specifically this one, who seems to be calling out Roy. Roy. But who exactly is Roy? And why doesn't he ever respond? Maybe Roy is just bird speak for save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. I guess until Roy answers, we'll never know. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.